because it was talking to a small and elite group of individuals, very much the aficionados within the dealers within this smaller, smaller group. As the art world has broadened out and is now engaging with a very, very much wider population of people who are interested in it, that's one of the reasons why that no longer serves the audience that you're talking to. It only serves. I don't think that this is a sort of flash in the pan thing. I think it is something that is happening systematically across the world. Data, information and access to art is broadening. Interest is broadening. Connection is broadening. And it will not be the sort of small elite group that defines what the sale calendar will be in the longer run. I think it will be a very much broader grouping that will help with that. Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. Live arts look behind the scenes at how the global art market really works. I'm your host, Marion Maneker. This podcast is brought to you by Live Art, the global art marketplace that puts you in control. Download the Live Art app to get all of the most relevant art market information, as well as access to exclusive private sales. Or visit us at liveart.io. The global auction and art fair calendar hardly seems like the fascinating subject that it really is. The art world still operates on a schedule largely established decades ago. The disruption of the global pandemic seemed to offer an opportunity to reshape those assumptions. Asia has become more important, and art fairs are proliferating from Seoul to Los Angeles and Paris. Nevertheless, 2022 saw the old auction calendar reemerge. Judging by the very strong numbers posted last year, sales haven't suffered. So what will happen next? To answer that question, I spoke to Philips CEO, Stephen Brooks. Philips is the first to open a dedicated Hong Kong headquarters. His rivals will have their own premises next year. That means there's likely to be an auction season twice a year in Hong Kong, either in 2024 or sometime thereafter, just as there is in New York and London. How that will fit into the calendar and how auction houses view the growing number of sales opportunities is the subject of our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Stephen Brooks, thank you for joining the podcast. My absolute pleasure. Good, great to see you. So I read after the announcement of the opening of your new headquarters in Hong Kong that one of the great opportunities of having a permanent space in a prominent location in the complex around the M Plus Museum is that you'll be able to do a great deal more in Hong Kong. Obviously, the market in Asia has exploded in recent years, and the need for capacity beyond sort of running sales twice a year in the uh, convention center is not just uh, important to you. It's uh, the other auction houses have made plans to open their own spaces. I think that will come online. Uh, next year. So you have a little bit of a jump on your rivals. And I thought it would be a great uh, opportunity to talk about first the Asian calendar, but then the global uh, auction and art fair calendar since the two run together. And I, and I do want to start by first saying one of the things that happened during the pandemic was the explosion of interest and following of the auctions 
digitally. And the hybrid sales are now sort of over, but not over. We still have a large audience. If I'm correct, you still have a, a, a much larger online audience than you did originally, which changes the nature of how art gets sold. I don't think it transforms it entirely, but it adds a whole new dimension. And that initially I thought was going to be the break where everything got wiped clean. And then, you know, after the pandemic, we'd start fresh and you'd see a whole new calendar emerge. And remarkably in 2022, it snapped back to the old uh, auction calendar, which my understanding from having asked several people, why is this? Uh, the answer is the clients you know, needed to know when to expect things, and that's what they were used to, and so that's what we went back to. So let's start with uh, uh, Hong Kong, but then I, my, I guess what I'm uh, previewing here is the real question is what happens in the future, and and I, the hard part, no one gets to design the calendar; it gets worked out through various forces. How how might we get there? So in. In one of your interviews, you said the new headquarters was an opportunity to shake things up with the auction calendar in Hong Kong. How, how do you plan to do that? Um, look, there's a lot to unpack there. There's um, <laughs> starting with Hong Kong, as you say, but I think I do want to go back and look at you know the pre-pandemic auction calendar and the post-pandemic world and 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 what is evolving and what's changing and why. Um, I think this is a fascinating. <laughs> It might sound quite dry, but I actually think it's really indicative of what's happening in the in the art market more generally. Um, Hong Kong, first of all, um, you know, the model there of, as you say, having convention center based, very intense, huge sales twice a year, either a hotel model or a convention center model, very restricting um, because you're at the mercy of the timings of the availability of those particular locations. Um really intense processes, really very expensive to run and very difficult to convene and pull everybody together. Um, as that market grows, it's just a very natural thing to say, look, you, you need to have a dedicated sale room that allows you to address that market much more evenly throughout the year and consistently and shake up your offerings. So I think we have um, been very fortunate to get this amazing space opposite um, the M Plus Museum. And I, and I don't know if you've been to see the um, the West Kowloon Cultural District, but it's, it's going to be something special. I mean, it's already something special. Um, the notion of creating creating a sort of cultural center in Hong Kong that draws people in to see various types of culture is a fabulous one. And we are literally a stone's throw about 100 yards from the M Plus Museum um, and are able to dovetail our programming, if you like, um, with theirs. And that, that I think, is an indicative of what's happening within the art market more generally. We've got a slew of sort of exhibitions and event programming that's happening throughout the year. It's not only auctions, and that kind of cements our brand identity and allows us to draw people in. We've got this incredible show going on at the moment uh, for Kusama and um, and Shiota. And, you know, at the M Plus Museum, there's probably one of the best Kusama exhibitions you'll ever see. You walk through into Philips and then potentially you can buy one. So it's it, it really makes sense for us to have that kind of facility. However, broadening, broadening that out, because you asked a broader question about the sale calendar more generally, and I think you have to go back a little bit to sort of what is the, what's the, what was the old model? What is, and to some degree, it's, it, there has been a reversion to it, but the old model pre-pandemic was very much what I would call a, if we build it, they will come kind of model. And um, because I need them to physically come. <laughs> and, and I would like to build as big 
um, an offering as I possibly can to make sure that they really do want to come. And why not do that where all of the auction houses are doing that exactly at the same time so we can really ram everybody in? And this will create this kind of frenzy moment where everybody will need to come or want to come because that's the moment and they will move together. Um, and to some degree, that served the auction market quite well for many years. Um, and uh, it created these kind of convening moments. Um, issues with it, though, are sort of bigger and bigger and bigger our market with this kind of sense of absolute indigestion in that process. Um, very demanding for the auction houses to convene and control and 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 actually probably properly serve um their clients in terms of are they really showing or showcasing art in the very best possible way? Are they really able to describe and and connect with buyers on every object that they're putting up? Uh, Indigestion is probably a good word for it. But nevertheless, you know, it worked for some time. And then, then comes along the pandemic. And as you say, physically, they can't come. <laughs> and so you have to engage with clients digitally. And some possibilities start becoming clear. You don't have to have everybody physically in the room. You can connect with them digitally. You can bring in people from all around the world. And you can move suddenly because you have to. You think you're going to be able to do something, then you can't. So you pop up a few weeks later. And this kind of old um, sort of view that that it has to be at specific moments in the year or, or, or all will be lost proves not to be the case. And you are, in fact, I think uh, Philips um, probably moved one of our sales into, I, I can't remember the exact date that we did it now. It was before my time, but um, it was right during the, the pandemic, moved it to a very strange time, uh, only to find it was one of our most successful sales ever because it was possible to get engagement with the client base. It was possible to connect with them properly. So I, like you, thought, oh, okay, well, the old model will be gone and the new model will be replaced by this very much more broad consistent series of sales that would make monthly sales right you know rotating around the globe or, or some schedule so i'll be able to sort of really give time and space to each of these objects and really value them and, and this will serve me well and i think what's happened is is two things one is that the auction market is actually and the people that work within it and operate within it are actually creatures of habit and they they like these moments and they they have a tendency to revert to the norm as it were and so there's an element of that going on. But also, I think that, that as this has been um, internalized, it is true to say that there's a sort of, I wouldn't call it quite a hybrid model, but there's you can almost segment the market where that old model is actually served or could serve, can serve the market quite well, uh, but doesn't serve all parts of the work uh, of the market well. And so what I think we're starting to see is, um, if you like, the top end of the market, this notion of having marquee sales um, where you know, the, a small, a comparatively small and an elite group, if you like, are really honing on very valuable things. That works in a sort of physical convening moment with these Kylie Markey moments. But for the vast, vast majority of the art market, um, you know, even at price points of $1 million, one, a half, $2 million, that's not serving it so so well. And the indigestion is there. And the notion of spreading things out, I think we now need to start grasping. And places like Philips are starting to grasp that. Hong Kong is one example of that. But I think that that will be the natural evolution over time. I think it's just getting so big and so difficult to digest that it will not serve either sellers or buyers to continue in that same model. Yeah, these these are clearly champagne problems. You know, the the success it creates. You know, how do we squeeze it? And and you know, the auction 
world is very much structured around getting people into one place, into that sale room. And, you know, the growth in New York was we had these uh, annual auctions and then the growth of contemporary art meant setting, having a second group of annual auctions, you know, the week before or after. And as contemporary uh, grew above impressionist and modern art and somewhat eclipsed it, it uh, you know, the weirdly the two weeks became one at some point. And even now there's still constant pressure to keep all the sales as close to each other as possible, which, which I both understand, but it also, it has that feeling of, you know, when you get to 79 lots and there's a multi-million dollar lot in, in the end of the evening sale, and you wonder, are are, are the bidders still, you know, paying attention? I mean, it's sort of attention deficit kind of thing, isn't it? And um, it is very difficult to see how that's a sustainable model in the longer run. So having said that, th this is a conservative um, industry in general, and moving away takes courage. If you, um, <laughs> if, if, and, and one of the reasons why I think we're having this conversation is I've been fortunate enough to be in the auction industry for a while in various different guises. And remember seeing a, an, another auction house that shall remain nameless moving away in London from uh, the sort of, I'd uh, say, mid-season or June sales, um, only to find that the rest of the auction world didn't follow suit. And you feel horribly exposed because actually you think, OK, well, it's fine, but we'll just have bigger sales at either end. But that doesn't quite work like that because it just moves to your competitors. And so, you it, you know... As you rightly said at the outset of this, the, the auction calendar should be a logical matter that you can plan and organise. But the reality is that it's a bit more organic than that. And you have to look at what is happening in the marketplace around you, not only in terms of your direct competitors, but also, of course, what's happening in the broader art market itself, the art fairs and every other kind of convening moment that's going on, so that you can dovetail with it, and you make sure that there is a sort of emerging logic to what you're doing. And you try to create these moments where you're engaging with people in the right way without it being too overwhelming. Um, we, we took the decision, for example, when you're going through this kind of selection criteria, in Hong Kong, we very specifically, and we traditionally held our Hong Kong sales in May, we very specifically took the decision to, to, to launch our opening of our new premises in March because it was going to coincide with the M Plus uh, gala that was taking place there, rolling then into Art Basel, then rolling into our auctions and then rolling into the Hong Kong Sevens. I mean, this was Hong Kong opening up. So one has to be flexible in that way and tailor um, to the moment, and that proved to be huge. That's what the number of people we had through the through the doors for our gala was was quite extraordinary. Well, I guess that gets to another issue, and I want to go back to some things, some just nuts and bolts things about Hong Kong. But that gets to a very interesting issue about, you know, the art market is very much designed around art collectors, this self-identified group of people who view themselves uh, 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 the professional audience, but also, you know, people who are serious co collectors. But part of the success of the last number of years is that we brought so many new people into collecting art who are not necessarily quote unquote collectors. They are people who are buying art as a mix of other objects that they own, sometimes luxury objects, sometimes experiences. And, and so you have this conflict and I think you just illustrated it perfectly. You have a Grand Prix or the, the the Rugby Sevens or some other big event that's going to bring a lot of people 
uh, let alone the museum events and uh, or art fairs, to a location? How do you capitalize on that to to do a different kind of convening and maybe a convening that is more in tune with the way people live now, rather than having a separate, you know, sort of art experience? I think that's so on point, Mary. And uh, the the um the, the we were talking before about the, the sort of history of how did this if we build it they will come kind of thing come to be and because it was talking to a small and elite group of individuals very much the aficionados within the dealers within this smaller smaller group as the art world has broadened out and is now engaging with a very very much wider population of people who are interested in it that that's one of the reasons why that no longer serves um, the audience that you're talking to. It only serves part of the audience. And um, I think that that's a trend. I think I don't think that this is a sort of flash in the pan thing. I think it is something that is happening systematically across the world. Data, information and access to art is broadening. Interest is broadening. Connection is broadening. And it will not be the sort of small elite group that defines what the sale calendar will be in the longer run. I think it will be a very much broader grouping that will help with that, albeit there will always be, in my view, these mega convening moments that that, that highlight the very, very high price things that are inaccessible to most. No, they're essential to the industry and the there are still art collectors and there is a professional art industry that does need, that does need to be served. Right. And more importantly, Hong Kong has become much more important in doing that. So the idea that, you know, there used to be the view that there, it was uh, London and New York had these uh, specific sales. And, and we know from both economic and other reasons, the May and November New York sales are the true marquee events. They're the tent poles, the pillars of the art market. They set reference points. That's where the big collections need to be sold. It, and, and everyone in the world wants to buy in New York, even to just be able to brag to their friends, I bought in New York, even if it was over a telephone. But London has always been different because it's a much older trade. It got fractured somewhat because of the growth of uh, freeze and those auctions and and put an extra tax on the system. So you were running three sales, which I presumed was why, you know, several years ago, uh, that unnamed auction house tried to move away from June just because you couldn't service those. It was an overload on your organizations. Plus you had, you know, you had the value of Art Basel in uh, Basel, but it was also a distraction because you had to make sure people were getting to and from and not making two trips to uh, uh, Europe in separate places. And, you know, when um, uh, Venice was in June as well, that became a, a complicating issue. So it, it made total sense to move away from June. But of course, as you po pointed out, you've got competitors. And if they want to pounce on what they see as an opportunity, you don't get to just say, well, that's not what we want to do you have to you know show the flag and not not give people like where where are they why aren't they they, they here but but the opposite is happening in hong kong which is hong kong is now such a major part and potentially even far bigger part of the uh, art uh, world in the future that it needs its own marquee events one could easily see the New York sales remaining where they are and Hong Kong sales developing around them. What's always been interesting to me, you know, because of the reasons you outlined earlier, the three auction houses don't convene, and, and I shouldn't just say three, because there are also several Asian auction houses that have smartly grouped around one or the other. 
So you do get these sort of somewhat convening events, but they're spaced out. Uh, Christie's has always done, I presume it's not because of these holidays in America, but oddly, big holidays in America of Memorial Day and Thanksgiving weekend are when the Hong Kong auctions for Christie's uh, have been. I suppose there's an option that makes it easier to move resources from one place to uh, another. I'm sure that that's been a huge inconvenience in the past because it's been yep. such a good business. But the, I think the, the reality is it's been pretty prosaic. They couldn't get the, the slots of the convention send her any other time and it's like a two to three year in advance planning process um no sorry i'm, I'm interrupting you uh, because no. i i actually believe that hong kong will have its own convening moments and will we'll see hong kong working in a similar kind of way to london or new york in due course it's going to develop into a a, a you know a destination of of such significance that it will have its whole own annual calendar um, with these, and similarly, a sort of tentpole kind of structure that might fit within. And early December has worked well for you, and I think Sotheby's is is sort of joined as that kind of timing. So, in other words, there's kind of a pressure ultimately for everyone to, to group around the same dates or similar dates, so that you know if people are in town. If that if that happened, no, I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if that happened. But look, I think I think. Um, if we turn to Hong Kong for a little second, uh, I think Asia more generally is is such an important and developing market. Um, you know, China's set now, I think, the second biggest art market in the world. Um, we in 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 locating ourselves in West Kowloon, right next to the mainland station that comes in from mainland China, are hoping to capitalize on on that. And um, I'm absolutely convinced that Asia is going to be incredibly important over time. I mean, it's already incredibly important. I'm also very convinced by Hong Kong, by the way. I know that, that there are many people who say, you know, well, do we have concerns or issues with Hong Kong? And I've been a big supporter. I think it's, a, I think it's an incredible place and, um, and has many of the ingredients that you need to be really successful in the art market. It's got an international gallery network of, you know, real stature and, and long-term experience it's got all of the auction houses it's got the asian auction houses it's got the right infrastructure it's got a free trade zone it, it, it really works in a way that i don't think any other location yet works which is not to say that it's all or nothing i think it can actually be an and i can see and singapore developing further and i can see and korea developing further and so on and so forth but for me hong kong really is is important and will continue to be well I, look i think that applies everywhere. You know, New York is the capital of the art market, but less so these days than ever before in the sense that there's so much more going on in other cities in America, let alone other cities in the world. And, and, and as, um, you know, Sotheby's uh, uh, had the opportunity to do a, a, sh a sale in Las Vegas, and it went very well for them. Uh, I'm sure everyone would like the uh, chance to branch out. You know, Los Angeles has always been this sort of tantalizing uh, place. You know, how do you do something uh, uh, around that? And I think that's sort of one of the future things to be figured out is how do you do these pop-up uh, uh, sales and make them marketing and convening events so that the clients feel like it's not just that they acquired the work, but the experience of acquiring the work was part of uh, the value that they're getting. The challenge in the art market when you're when you're selling an awful lot of things is to create moments and and interest around beautifully curated. I hate to use that word, but you know moments 
interest where things are of interest and and merchandised if you like in many ways um so that they they pull in people and see that these are incredible things it doesn't always have to be that they're incredible things that cost you 25 million dollars so so while we're talking about those experiences i i am you know fascinated by art basel's Perry plu um uh, uh art fair uh one, just because it's Art Basel and they, they are, you know, the dominant art fair. Uh, but also, you know, Paris is the capital of the luxury uh, goods industry. And the connection between fashion and uh, uh, art has been growing, and I don't think it's going to stop. And one could easily fantasize about any sort of event, week-long, you know, uh, extravaganza that combines all of these things. And uh, again, they, th- these things don't happen. You know, Art Basel in Miami didn't happen because someone planned it. In fact, when it was first planned, everyone thought it was, you know, uh, crazy and made no sense. And and it's since outgrown even the art fair. It's just this Miami Art Week and doesn't take anything away from Art Basel to say that if you remove that, I think it would still uh, take place. There are just so many people participating. So that seems to me an enormous opportunity. It's, you know, interesting that it happened that they've uh, launched it in October. And that does create a little bit of a, you know, uh, you're, you're running sales and fairs in, in early October and then doing it a week or two late, later. I mean, this isn't new when FIAC was on those weekends that that happened. Exactly. It's not new. It's not new. And, and I, and I come back to what you were saying before. It's, it's and not either or. It's, I, I, I Paris can flourish london can flourish i don't think that the two are mutually exclusive but do you look at that and think oh why does it have to be two weeks later if we could you know our resources the way we plan things couldn't this happen in april or some other time that we of course i do (laughs) it would make life a lot easier but you know as you and again as we said right at the beginning of this it's an organic process it kind of flows and eventually you hope that you land at something that makes sense but the trend is very much more around democratization around spreading the the auction calendar into something that's much more digestible and i think that's what we're going to see happening more and more at the time so uh, another feature of the way the calendar exists is that there's these two fairly long periods and this is built around the marquee sa- sales but these um these property gathering periods you know from from uh, uh, basically right after our basel in miami to uh, uh the end of february early march which is where the london sales have uh shifted to sometimes they're later in march you know sometimes earlier depending on other you know uh, calendar uh, aspects do you is that just a function of the holidays uh and the way the calendar is developed or do you need uh, an extended period to go and get uh, uh, enough work to really make a sale that's going to attract to be a convening uh, moment? Well, I, I, I think it's a function of that historic auction calendar. These big moments where, yes, you know, the hardest thing, the hardest thing in the auction world is to gather property of the right quality that's really going to attract collectors. And you go into this extremely demanding period where you're pitching for business against a very competitive landscape. And what might look like a sort of dark period or a quiet period for the auction houses is actually one of their most frenetic. I mean, it's it's the thing that half kills the staff. Um, and you hope you can get some kind of rest for them during the you know, the really official holiday periods. I think Christmas is probably one of the very few where 
um, people do get to put their phones uh, to bed, as it were, for a little while. But but otherwise, that's not the case. I mean, it's full bore. So August, I think people talk about you know, August is a quiet period. I think in the US, August is one of the biggest, most intense collecting periods for the auction houses um, that exists in the whole year. So so it's it's not really true that there is a sort of quiet period in the auction calendar. It just switches between these kind of gatherings. <laughs> And that, that's sort of another reason to uh, have tried to move out of June in London is to not, uh, because a lot of people go away uh, in August, to allow people to the property gathering in June and July rather than forcing it into like, okay, June's over, we've dealt with that. Because so many of the staffs are working in both places. That's right. Um, and look, and in, in Europe, August traditionally has I mean if you work in France and I used to work for a French organization it shuts <laughs> it shuts in August but uh, that's not true uh, more generally within the market it continues and so yes you have to sort of you can't you can't scale up these organizations so big with so much headcount that you can sort of take you can do a relay race and and bring on one team it's actually the same people moving from one thing to another and um, connecting so it can be quite demanding and stuff i i i hope i'm not going to offend you uh, Stephen, by making this suggestion but uh, from this discussion i'm wondering what is the place of the these marquee events in london do they do they need to move you know uh, if you're if you're doing things in freeze but also in um around Perry Plu, that sort of almost everyone in August is, uh, I mean, October is working in both uh, places or just working, you know, moving property. And I think in recent sales, we've seen that property like move to Paris that, you know, would have been in uh, earlier times. So so somewhat dampens the the October sales by spreading them out a little bit, which, as we've discussed, isn't necessarily a bad thing if we can move to a market that has, you know, say four or five big convening uh, uh, moments, but then allows uh, more uh, other sales that are tailored and uh, uh, attractive, either because of events or because of the property. Well, I think you're answering the question yourself there, because that's the that's the solution, I think, here, not to necessarily remove sales in October that might otherwise, you know, historically have been very important, but to simply add around it and spread the load so that that intensity doesn't exist in quite the same way. And it's not an all or nothing kind of moment in October. It can, it can be supported by a series of mid-season sales that go around it. And, and so I don't see October disappearing. Um, I might see it moderating as we add more things around it. But that also means the, 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 um, the new now sales taking on some more frequency that the room is for for places for places to, to spread out those kinds of sales so that they're say monthly you know one of the things they always say about the these things is like it's not so important for certain types of sales that what's in them that just that there is a sale and you know hey once a month there's going to be a sale and you'll show up to look absolutely for it. otherwise you have to start from scratch all the time to say okay well, how are we going to get people's attention to focus on this particular date in this particular week if it's every third week in a <laughs> you know once a month then it's it's very much easier for people to connect with and um, and engage with so yeah look uh, again part of this directional change that i think is happening that things like new now um which by the way has huge engagement with uh, you know the audience for new now um it's it's one of the ones that's really a joy for us to pull together because um you find there's you know property is available people want to buy, consign into those sales and there is an audience there that really wants to engage with them as well so i see the prospect of those kinds of sales growing and flourishing throughout the rest of the 
throughout the rest of the year. Well, that is your sweet spot. I mean, traditionally, going back to Simone de Puri almost uh, 15, 20 years ago, you know, Philip's ability to break new markets uh, uh, for artists uh, that the and the growth of interest in these kinds of artists does suggest that you want to have more of those sales. For us. But, but it's also, it's um, what's happened. I mean, last year, I think we debuted 150 brand new artists into auction. Um, it, it, so that's still very, very much happening. But the take up of some of those artists from that kind of debut moment to then featuring as a major um, art individual in the firmament, as it were, is a very, very short journey these days. I mean, it can be a few years. And um, and so we suddenly find that we're taking those up to, to another level. And, you know, I think people have really engaged with that as a process. It's where Philip's history has been, but it's now moving at a pace that um, I think is really intriguing. So if we, uh, the, 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 the part I didn't want to offend you about was suggesting that maybe the London is less uh, of a marquee uh, place than Hong Kong uh, and New York. But I, I'm wondering if you, if you had one season where, you know, uh, London was the focus, uh, would that be, you know, February, March? Is that the appropriate time? Is it? Is there another time that we can see in that kind of long period in the beginning of the winter that would make more sense? I'm not sure winter in London is where everyone wants to go. So. <laughs> spring is where everyone wants to be in London. <laughs> Today is an absolutely glorious spring day. Um, I think it probably is spring, but again, I, I don't. It's not an all or nothing for me. I, I you know. The, the premise is if you had one convening moment, I don't think you necessarily do. I think you'll have several convening moments. And I think over time, um, one doesn't need to quite have this sort of all or nothing kind of sense. Um, I think that London is always going to be incredibly important, which is not to say that other centres aren't incredibly important. But the reality is that our European business and our Asian business are of an equivalent sort of size now. And, um, you know, what will happen to that over time? I happen to think that Asia could grow very rapidly from here and may may even eclipse Europe at some point soon. So, But that doesn't mean to say that Europe is not going to be an important um, destination or that London won't be an important No, I, I think Europe is actually a writ small version of the main problem, which is that success means managing many different sale locations and figuring out what this right mix is. And the success of these art fairs, you know, uh, Freeze going to Seoul and having this great event, uh, obviously sort of suggests maybe there should be some sorts of sales there and you guys are in the position to to mount that because you're now so good at saying you know we we, we do things in London yeah we do it in New York but we can do this the, this anywhere uh, and again it you know every every opportunity also has uh, its challenges but it seems that that's sort of the the transition that I don't think the pandemic is the the only cause of it but it became fairly acute and we could see it in the process of the pandemic and the pandemic gave i think the pandemic revealed what was possible and 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 could allow us to lead down a particular path interesting that it has taken longer for us to go down that path than i think many would have predicted um and there is always slightly a sort of reversion to traditional um but i think that that's going to change more rapidly from here um and it'll be interesting to see how it pulls together that, that would be that's a great spot for a final qu question why do you think it's taken so long just because you know 
we, we made so much for so many years of how old Christie's and Sotheby's are, are, you know, that they were, you know, founded in the 18th century. And, and uh, you know, there when, when Sotheby's was public, it was the, you know, longest, uh, 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 oldest co- company on the stock exchange ki- kind of thing. Is it is it just that, that there's sort of a, a, a tradition hidebound to it? Or is it on the somewhere on the, the sort of client side, the the audience side that, you know, the pandemic gave us um, the way it did with QR codes, you know, a technology that had been around, but nobody used and suddenly took off. It, it, I mean, these sales have been broadcast on the web for 15 years. Uh, Much of that, this stuff was all there. I think you could, you could bid on your phone at Philips, you know, years ago. Um, but it wasn't really engaged with in the same way. So I, I think that what happened was that the pandemic did did unveil these things in a way that became very convenient. And then that becomes part of one's more normal life and it pushes towards it. And the question is, why are, why is the pendulum swinging a little bit back further than you might have imagined? Um, is very tricky to answer. I, I, I don't think it's you know, an element of it may be conservative thinking within these organisations. But an element of it is a, is about the raging competition between them <laughs> and the fear that that engenders that if you move away from a tried and tested formula, you may well fail. And and so, you know, it becomes quite a bold move to do something different um, because you, you fear that it could backfire. So I think there's a natural reticence to move away from a sort of tried and tested formula. I think that the other side of that equation, which is the audience, will force it, and it will happen slowly but surely over time. The the clients want it, and and it'll be up to you and the art fair companies to all figure out how to bring this how, together. How to how to address that and do that in a way that's not too scary. That's the perfect closing word. Thank you, Stephen. Super. Thanks so much. Great to talk to you, Marion. Thank you for joining us at the Artelligence Podcast, edited by Colin Ketchin, who also composed the original music. For more episodes, listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to download the LiveArt app or visit us at liveart.io. Please join us for the next episode of the Artelligence Podcast. We're looking forward to it.